So we will continue with the study of the Viveka Churamani. So in the last class, we were studying the verses in which Bhagavad Pada Shankaracharya is describing the first layer of our identification because of our ignorance with the Sthula Sharira. So the nature of the gross body, which is made up of food, Annamaya Kosha, that was described in details in the preceding verses which we studied in the last class. Today we will take up the verses where Shankaracharya is describing the nature of the subtle body, the Sukshma Sharira. So it's from the 92nd to the 97th verse he will be discussing in details the nature of the subtle body, the Sukshma Sharira. So we will proceed with the verses and Along with them, the discussion will continue. So the 92nd verse, what it is speaking, the various components of the Sukshma Sharira, one by one he will take, at last to enlist them all together to define what the Sukshma Sharira is. So first components of the Sukshma Sharira has been, is been described in the 92nd verse. So what are they? Buddhi Indriyani Sravanang tvak akshi ghranang cha jivva vishaya ava bodhanat vak pani pada godam api upastha karmendriyani pravanena karmasu. So, all the organs of perception, like hearing, sravana, tvak, the sense of touch, akshi, the eyes, ghranang, smell, jivva, the taste. So these are the organs of perception. We have the five organs of perception. So these organs of perception are a part of the Sukshma Sharira. Uh, immediately I know that the question will arise. How come they are the part of Sukshma Sharira? They are the part of Sthula Sharira. We see the eyes in this gross body, the ears in this gross body, the tongue in the gross body, the skin, the organ of touch. It's all in the gross body. How come they have been enunciated in the Sukshma Sharira? We will come to the discussion. First, let us read the verse. So these uh, have the literal meaning of the verse. So here it is being indicated that the organs of perception are a component of the Sukshma Sharira. And also the organs of action. Vak, Pani, Padam, Gudam, Api Upastha. The organ of Vak means speech, hands, legs, organ of evacuation, organ of regeneration, reproduction. So these are the five karmendriyas, the organs of action, and which all uh, takes, uh, impels us to act, pravanena karmasu. So these are the organs of action, karmendriya. So these are also a part of the sukshma sharira. So here we should understand that uh, when it has been enunciated that the organs of perception and the organs of action are a part of the subtle body. It doesn't actually mean the so-called external orifices. The eyes are the orifices. Even in our scripture, very nicely it has been indicated, they are the golakas. The camera, the lens is not the camera, the external lens. So similarly, it is all the orifices. It is just the lens. The real center of perception is in the mind. The real center of uh, hearing is in the mind. So they are the centers which are in the mind. So all these external organs which we see, they are just the orifices, the golakas, through which the perceptions are taken to be processed by the mind. The real organ is in the mind. The, the here when they are speaking, the organs of perception is in Sukshma Sharira. It is speaking of the centers of perception which is in the mind, not the so-called external orifices in this gross body. So now you will understand that it is all in the mind where all the perceptions are processed and after processing the informations, all the perceptions, the reaction that comes, that for that again the reaction enunciate starts again in the mind. The organs of action 
are in the mind. As Swami Vivekananda used to say very nicely, that you see a, a very strong muscle man is lifting weight and you think all the strength is in the muscle. You just go an almost imperceptible, imperceptible nerve which is connecting the muscle with his brain or with the spine. You just cut it. There is no strength. He is just paralyzed. There is no strength in the muscle. It is the information which is being transmitted from the mind to the muscle. It's just like the muscles are like uh, something which contracts when uh, electric current passes through it. You will find the way the nerve current works is almost similar to the electricity. Uh, when uh, you, you know that those who are electricians, for them, when they are taught that uh, you have to touch a live wire, it's not practical within the olden days when we had very few gadgets and sometimes they had to taste by touching. So they were always asked that if by chance you have to touch a wire to test whether it is a live wire or not, always touch with the back of your palm, not with the front side of your palm. The reason is when the current passes through the body, the muscle contracts. So if you are touching with your palm, then if your hand contracts, you will be holding the wire and that you will, you will be electrocuted. That will be something which is extremely fatal. But if you're touching the back, your hands will be contracted and you, your hand will be thrown out from the wire and you will be saved. So why we are just uh, giving this example, speaking of it, just to say the muscle contracts when it is in touch with a live wire, electricity. The nerve current also is something like electricity. The information, the instruction, move the hand, comes from the mind through the nerves, which is just like electric current. It comes and then contracts the muscle. So the real uh, organ of action is not in the hand, is not in the muscles. It is actually in the center from where the instruction is generated. So now you will understand that when Shankaracharya at the very beginning is speaking of the sukshma sharira and its parts. He's saying all the organs of perception, this buddhi indriya means organs of perception, they are all in the mind. And again, the karmendriya, these five organs of action, they are also in the mind. So with this, let us proceed to the next verse. So just to have an idea that in no way they are speaking of the so-called the limbs in the external body or the so-called orifices of perception in the external body. They're speaking of the center of perception and center from where the action is generated, the response is generated. The stimuli is perceived in the mind and the response is generated in the mind. All the centers of perceiving the stimuli, stimuli perception is the uh, or what is it, the Gyanendriya or the Buddhindriya and the organs and all the centers of response are the Karmendriya. So after saying that, now he will speak of the Antakkarana, the so-called mind. So that also is a part of the subtle body, the organs of perception, the organs of action, and now comes the mind. So what is the mind? So here Shankaracharya will say, as per the functioning of the mind, the mind can be divided into four categories. And that will be enunciated in the 93rd and in the 94th verse. What are they? Nigadhyate, antakkaranam, mana, dhi, ahankriti, chittam. So these are the four things. Mana, dhi, ahankriti, chittam, iti, swa, bhi. So the mind as per its function, as per the vritti, as per its function, as per its profession, vritti means profession, what you do. So as per their profession, as per their action, as per their functionality, the mind can be divided into four categories. What are they? Mana, dhi, ahankriti, chitta. The mind, the intellect, dhi is the intellect, ahankriti is the ego, and chitta is the mind stuff. What actually it means? So that, that will be again defined in the uh, half of the 93rd verse and the rest of the 94th verse. 
So what is this mind, what is the buddhi, what is ahankara, what is chitta is being defined in the remaining portion of the 93rd and the 94th verse. So what are they? Manasastu sankalpa vikalpana dibhi. This mind is something which considers the pros and cons of a thing. Sankalpa vikalpa. Is it this or is it not this? So this sankalpa vikalpa. We will come to the discussion of it. The mind is a something which just thinks, considers the pros and cons of a thing. And buddhi, what is buddhi? Buddhi is something nishchayatmika. Here it has been mentioned by Shankaracharya as padartha adhyavasaya dharmata. That what is the real truth of the object? Padartha adhyavasaya. It's you will examining and that after the mind has considered the pros and cons, now it will take a final decision. The buddhi will take a final decision to say no, this is this. So this is buddhi. Buddhi is nishchayatmika. It does, does the padartha nirnaya, padartha adhyavasaya. That is its dharma, that is its nature. So that is its function. And then abhimana, what is abhimana? Atra abhimanat aham iti ahankriti. That I am this body-mind complex. This is me. My identification this body of the, with this body-mind complex. That I am this. This idea that I am this body-mind complex. This notion of uh, amness associated with the body-mind is the ego, is the ahankar, is the abhimana. Atra abhimanat aham iti. That I am this. This, ahan, this is ahankar. And then Swartha Anusandhana Gunena Chittam. And then all our experiences either gives pleasure or pain. So that which gives us pleasure, I am drawn towards it. That gives pain, I run away from it. So it speaks of my Swartha, my interest. The things which are favorable, I am drawn towards it. Which are not favorable, I run away from it, I desist it. So this speaks of my interest. So Swartha Anusandhana, the storehouse of all this impression which relates to my interest speaks of the Chitta. So this is the definition. Now let us try to understand a bit in more details. That my mind is Sankalpa Vikalpatmak. We generally think that when I am about to take a decision, I think the pros and cons of the thing, that is the working of the mind. That is in a very gross sense. Really, for each and every perception, mind is doing the same thing. Though not consciously, unconsciously it is happening in the deep of your psyche. Just to give an example, when I am seeing a red flower, what's happening? The, uh, the conceptions of red, all the colors, are there dormant in my mind. When I see that color, that redness, then what happens? The perception goes and stimulates the mind. Of all those colors, the redness only will be something which becomes uh, uh, active, which becomes active, which, 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 can, which will be projected. The other still remains dormant. So here the question of choosing, picking up the one among the many is there. So that is the function of the mind. So what it does, when I see the flower, that it's that there is the center of color from where the color will be picked up. There's a center for texture, center for the form. What's the form of the flower? So all these various concepts, these are the piecemeal perceptions. They all will be picked up from the all the vast thing which is already available in the mind. The mind is not blank. When the child is born, it is already filled with all those so-called perceptions, informations, all those piecemeal informations are there. Whenever the perception is happening, this of all those permutations and combinations, a particular combination will be projected and they will conglomerate to form a whole, to give a visual image that this is a flower, its color is red, its texture is very soft, it has such and such shape. Now it will present it to the buddhi. The buddhi will do the nishchayatmika. Now it will say, yes, this is a red rose or this is some red hibiscus. 
So from where you are getting this idea, the buddhi, after the mind has done the processing, it has taken out all those piecemeal perceptions and created a wholesome image. Now the buddhi will ascertain it by labeling it and naming it. So that's the function of the buddhi. So now you will understand that it, at, for each and every perception, for each and every feeling, this is the thing which is happening. It's not only when consciously we are uh, uh, just considering the pros and cons of anything to come to a final decision. That's not that because mind is working always. Then why, uh, why it is speaking that mind is that this uh, Sankalpa Vikalpatmak? It is always Sankalpa Vikalpatmak, not only when I'm taking a decision. For each and every perception, unknowingly it is happening. I'm not aware of it unconsciously. That's immediately, it's just like picking up a book in the library. You go and ask the librarian that I want such and such book. The librarian immediately will search the call number, the accession number. With that, he will go to the exact location and pick up the exact book. So in the mind, the same thing is happening. The book, the mind is the storehouse of all these piecemeal perceptions. As per the, this, when you want a book, it is just like something external stimuli. Someone is coming and wants a particular stimuli, a particular piecemeal inf information to be picked up, a particular book to be picked up. He comes and asks, and then the librarian will go, as per the call number, he will pick up, pick up this book, and then bring to the person who wants it. So this is the thing which is happening in the mind. You're just picking up, and then they are conglomerating to form a whole, that generally we have an idea when I'm seeing the flower, as a whole, the perception is happening. Never. It's all piecemeal perceptions. The color is perceived in one center. The shape is perceived in another center. All these then conglomerates to form a whole. And then the buddhi labels it, names it, labels it, designates it. And says, yes, this is such and such thing. So that's an ischyatmika. And after doing that, now comes the picture of who is doing it. The ahankara, that's the, the ego comes to picture, that the conscious principle coming in association with the body-mind complex, it sees its reflection in the body-mind complex and it identifies itself with the reflection and it starts thinking it is the body-mind complex. Now with the mind, I have done that nishchayatmika, that this is such and such thing. After that, another interesting thing happens. Is it something which is favorable for my existence? Or is it something which is going to annihilate me? Is going to destroy me? It is going to harm me? So this concept comes. Even in a micro we see, if you give some nutrient, it is drawn towards it. If you give some toxin, it moves away from it. So the moment the ahankara comes, the pers one part of the mind is perceiving what it is. The mind, with all its data from that, it processes, creates an image. The buddhi ascertains that it is such and such thing. Now, because of ahankara, you are associating yourself with the body-mind complex. And now you think whether it is favorable for me or not. So this gives a, what you say, this uh, feeling of swartha anusandhana. That it is good for me, it is bad for me, I should be drawn towards it, I should avoid it. So then, accordingly, our this feeling of uh, attachment, hatred also correspondingly develops. If it is favorable for me, I develop love for it. I develop attachment towards it. If it is something harmful for me, I hate it. I, if I find it is something extremely harmful, it is going to kill me, I run away from me, it. And this, all these feelings, these sensations, this liking, disliking, they're not lost. They're all stored in your psyche. These all feelings. Because they are linked to your swartha, to your uh, well-being as a psychophysical entity. So they're all stored there. So this storehouse of all these impressions, of these feelings, of likes and dislikes, that's the chitta. That's the chitta. Uh, that's also a part of the mind. So as per the function, we find the mind has four parts. The same mind, but when it is just picking up all the piecemeal informations to create a whole, it is the mind. And then when it is asserting that it is such and such thing, it is naming it and labeling it, then it is the buddhi. 
and when the mind is associating yourself with the body mind complex to say this is me that is ahankara <clears throat> and now the thing which i have ascertained that this is such and such thing what's its relation with ahankara with me is it something beneficial or harmful <clears throat> the knowledge of this is something which constitutes the chitta so these are the four parts which has been described in this 93rd and in the 94th verse so you'll find a very interesting thing the english word information <coughs> is very interesting which actually speaks of our mind information is in formation in plus formation isn't it so information is not something which we are gathering in that is outside is gathering it is all forming inside because of the permutation and combinations of the already existing piecemeal informations in your mind with which we are born they now start informing the formation happens inside that they are all uh, having a permutation combination to have an information so information is something <coughs> which is coming from within <coughs> is projected out as knowledge so knowledge is something which is coming from within that's why swamiji used to say that uh, the word inspired has no meaning as per the uh, vedantic uh, philosophy is concerned because we don't inspire nothing comes from outside it is all expiration it is all formed inside and that's what is transmitted and that's what constitutes the knowledge so this is the uh, overall idea of the antakkarana the mind which has been spoken of by adi shankaracharya in the vivek churavani so let us now proceed to the 95th verse so that's what is the 9th 5th verse is saying the prana the vital force that also is a part of the sukshma sharira that is been spoken of in the 95th verse what it is saying prana apana vyana udana samana bhavatyasau prana so the so called vital force has five different uh, categories five different parts five different types as per again their function the way they work so what are they prana apana vyana udana samana we will come to the discussion swayam eva vritti bhedat vikriti vedat suvarna sariradivat so he is giving an example shankaracharya is giving an example just gold is one but as per its shape as per its utility we vritti bhedat vikriti vedat vikriti means the shape how it is shaped and brit and vritti means that what is its utility what is its functionality so as per its functionality as per its shape i may call it as a necklace which is you wear around the neck or it may be a bracelet or it may be a ring but it is all the same gold similarly there is only one force one force one energy which is functioning in five different ways and that constitutes the pancha prana just as in the modern physics there is the idea of unified force theory that there is actually one a force which is finding expression as all other forces as the gravitation there's the magnetism as electricity as the nuclear force whatever force we have all actually uh, are coming out are, are the uh, what you say this can be one can be transformed to the other they all are actually the same energy the energy is finding expression in different ways and that we call it as electricity as per the expression or gravitation or it may be the nuclear force or it may be the uh, this electro electromagnetism <coughs> weak nuclear force strong nuclear force these are the things which we have learned in physics so it all pertains to the external so this as uh, a so called physical world but for the living entities in the internal world the same energy can also function in five different ways and as per the five different ways it functions it has been named as prana apana vyana udana samana so what are these five, five functions the so called prana as a part of this vital force means under the category of prana again this prana comes this subcategory prana not the main prana the subcategory prana is actually the vital force which is finding expression as respiration 
This is the upper part of the body. That's prana. Apana. It is finding expression as the vital force, the energy which helps us to clear off all the toxins in the form of excretion is in the lower part of the body. Vyana is throughout the body. They had, they, see now it is in science we have, we have so many terminologies that even without oxygen, uh, the muscles by breaking down the glycogen uh, can to certain extent generate energy. That we for generating energy oxygen is a must but without oxygen also metabolism can happen and that is called anabolic uh, metabolism. Very interesting. Even when they are saying of this uh, vyana, this prana we understand, it is respiration. Apana uh, uh, we understand, it is all the evacuation and excretion. Vyana. Vyana says this throughout the body and as an example they are saying when you are yawning, when you are stretching yourself, when you wake up, you stretch your muscles and you yawn. So that is the expression of Vyana. And you will find uh, in modern science, it is nothing but this anaboric metabolism, the Vyana. That's the thing that they're speaking of, that, <coughs> that yawning happens, you will find because of this uh, uh, lack of oxygen. When you are in a closed room, is not sufficient oxygen, you will find all have started yawning. So uh, the, the, when this glycogen has been, is, is been broken and from that energy is generated, that's the anaboric metabolism. So whatever it will be, we are trying, these are, these terminologies, uh, uh, the way they have been understood in the past is its own line of thinking. But when we with our background are trying to understand it, we can somehow equate it with something like anaboric metabolism. And then the next is very interesting is Udana. What is Udana? Why it has been spoken of? That during the time of death, the Sukshma Sharira is as if ejected from this gross body. There is a force which ejects the Sukshma Sharira out of this gross body. And it is being felt at the time of death. And that is the, the Vayu which the prana vayu, the vital force which ejects the sukshma sharira out of the sthula sharira at the time of death is the udana vayu. Just to give an example, to understand it, just the way we, at the time of, uh, when we have to have a nature's call, we have to evacuate the, all the toxins from our body, we feel an urge the same type of an urge is felt at the time of death when the pranavayu is coming out. And that has been, that's force, that vital force, which helps the sukshma sharita to eject it from this gross body has been termed as the udhanavayu. And samana last again is the assimilation, digestion, and it is in the middle part of the body near stomach. There's the digestion and assimilation. So, they, we find that even in the ancient time, they were minutely observing the physiology, the working of the body, and they were trying to categorize this, <clears throat> all the various vital forces. So these are the five vital forces which has been spoken of in uh, our scriptures, and that's what Shankaracharya is categorizing here as the vital force. And again, the question comes. These are all expressions in the gross body. I have food, and then from the food is converted into energy and that finds expression through the gross body. So how it has been categorized in the subtle body. So now it becomes very easy to understand in, the special, uh, in this present age of computer. That actually it is not the expression of this all this uh, vitality which has been spoken of. It's just like you take, you have a computer and you have some, uh, what is this, hard disk you have a battery. So unless it is charged, the battery is there in the dormant form as the source of energy. The moment you charge it, it becomes activated. So similarly, the potency to generate energy is the